out of time. This is actually the first time I've ever done a message where we don't obey the Bible and we don't have any intention necessarily of obeying what the Bible says here. So it, we'll see how it goes. But I didn't want to skip. That's the part of going through a little bit at a time as you can't skip. So starting in verse 2. I praise you for remembering me in everything and for holding to the teachings just as I passed them on to you. Now I want you to realize that the head of every man is Christ, the head of the woman is man, and the head of Christ is God. Every man who prays or prophesies with his head covered dishonors his head, and every woman who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head. It's just as though her head were shaved. If a woman does not cover her head, she should have her hair cut off. And if it's a disgrace for a woman to have her hair cut off or shaved off, she should cover her head. A man ought not to cover his head, since he is the image and glory of God. But the woman is the glory of man. For man did not come from woman, but woman for man. Neither was man created for woman, but woman for man. For this reason, and because of the angels, the woman ought to have a sign of authority on her head. In the Lord, however, woman is not independent of man, nor is man independent of woman. For as woman came from man, so also man is born of woman. But everything comes from God. Judge for yourselves. Is it proper for a woman to pray to God with her head uncovered? The implied answer is no. Does not the very nature of things teach you that if a man has long hair, it's a disgrace to him? But that if a woman has long hair, it is her glory? The implied answer is yes. For long hair is given to her as a covering. If anyone wants to be contentious about this, we have no other practice, nor do the churches of God. So this passage, just reading it, is a bit controversial, not because of what it says. What it says is very clear, but because of the logic Paul uses to support what he says. What he's saying basically is, if a woman wants to lead the corporate worship service, pray or prophesy, those are the two public things uh, that would have taken place in worship. So if she wants to stand up here and lead, she has to cover her head and her hair doesn't count. Uh, some type of a shawl, maybe. We don't know exactly what he was referring to. But some type of covering over her head. She's got to wear one. Men don't. Women do. That's all that he's saying. And again, it's, it's very plain. He says, this is just the way things are. He says, the very nature of things. It's just, it's just the way things are in all of our churches. This is what is done. Apparently, it was shameful for a woman to not have something on her hair. We don't know why. There's some speculation that maybe hair was an object of lust. And so that if a woman was not covering her hair, it would distract the guys in the congregation, keep them from focusing on Jesus and what was being said and what was being prayed. And so just don't do it, Paul says. You need to keep this thing covered up. Apparently there were some women in Corinth who disagreed, um, and they were not wearing whatever the covering, we'll just call it a shawl. They weren't wearing that thing on their head, and Paul was saying to them, you're disrupting what's going on in our corporate services. This this little section, next week it's on the Lord's Supper, then after that it's spiritual gifts. All of those have to do with um, how do we function together as a body in worship? What does it look like when we come together corporately? And so that's what Paul is talking about here. When you're coming together corporately, you women, you're not following the local customs. Paul doesn't necessarily, I don't think from the reading this, that Paul really cares a whole lot about the local customs other than by not following them they're bringing shame on their gatherings, and it's causing people to not listen to what's going on. It's inhibiting the spread of the gospel. Uh, so that's broadly what's happening, and Paul's just saying, stop. He's not necessarily disagreeing with these women that they're free in terms of what they wear. I would actually say that he says, you're right. You are free to not wear that. However, 
You can't do that now. It's what we've been saying the past few weeks. They're using their freedom not to um, build others up, but in order to do whatever they want. And it's causing disruption and it's destroying their life together as a group. A couple of things for us on this. One, there are gender differences. Men and women aren't the same. I'm sure that is not a news flash to you. God created, read Genesis 1, 26. It says, in the image of God, he created them male and female. He created them. He created distinctions between men and women. Now, it starts getting tricky to start naming what those distinctions are. The Bible, that there's not a passage. This is the differences between men and women. You can kind of look up, look and see. Not very many people buy tickets to go see the women's slam dunk contest. They don't. It's not. Guys are, it's different. God gave Adam this job. Here, you take care of all of this stuff. And so naturally, guys physically are, in a, are they're stronger. I'm not saying women can't be firefighters if they want to, as long as you can toss my unconscious body over your shoulder and get me out of the house. I don't care. If you're a woman, you just got to be able to pick me up. So, and that goes for men too. You've got to be able to pick me up. So, it's not a, it's not necessarily gender roles. Go to First Pres, First Baptist, First Methodist preschool. You're not going to find a man in one of those rooms. They don't do it. God said to Eve, "Here's what. Here's your spear. I want you taking care of. You're going to have kids." And Adam's. It's not again. It's not a role thing. It's how we're wired. And we can kind of go back and forth on all of that. That seems to be all biblically that you can really draw is looking at Genesis 1 and 2 before the fall to see the differences between men and women and none of that is news to you. I think for us, it's just the importance of recognizing men don't need to be women and women don't need to be men. Men need to be men and women need to be women because that's how God created us. If he only wanted men, there'd be no Eve. If he only wanted women, there'd be no Adam. And he created both. And that goes beyond just for the sake of procreation. There's things in each of us as men and women that all point to God. And we'll look at it in a second, the fact that we actually need one another. So what's going on in this church in Corinth is by not wearing these head covers, that was a distinction between men and women, the women were crossing a cultural boundary. And Paul's saying just don't. It's not don't. It's not worth it to do that to inhibit the spread of the gospel. It would be if I was standing up here in a dress right now. You would not be listening to anything that I said. You'd be looking at my legs. So, Or if I was wearing makeup, you wouldn't be listening to me. It's not a sin for a man to wear a dress. It's just stupid. It, it is for where we are because it doesn't, nobody's going to hear what you're saying. You're not listening to me. You're looking at my clothes and wondering, why is he, it's, why is he doing that? I've crossed a boundary in our culture that there's no reason for us to cross. Now, if we're in Scotland and everyone's wearing kilts, then maybe it's okay for me to wear a skirt, but not here. That doesn't work for us. And so I think that's, that's a parallel. Again, these women, he's not, Paul's not, if you look at his arguments, he's not saying all these because God said so kind of, it's not like he was saying when he said, don't go to the temple, and he was so strong. He's like, it's just the way things are. It's, it's not a, salvation issue it's not a hell heaven issue it's just not worth it to cross this boundary to cause this disruption because you're get we're trying to worship here we're trying to focus on jesus and everybody's wondering how come you're not wearing a shawl on your head we don't care about none of you cared that ashley didn't have a shawl on her head up here that didn't even register for you that's why we don't obey this passage 
literally. That's not an issue for us. That's not a distinction between men and women anymore. Again, a parallel would be if I was up here in women's clothes. That is a distinction that we hold as a culture. And so for me to arbitrarily flaunt that custom just for the sake of doing it, that's going to disrupt what we're trying to do in here, and it's going to cause people to not hear the gospel. So don't. In 50 years, if men are walking around in dresses, then we can have a talk about whether that's appropriate up here. But right now, it's not. Again, not because it's a sin issue, just because it gets in the way of what we're trying to do when we come together in worship. So that's kind of what's going on in this passage, and it's why we don't follow it uh, to the letter, because it doesn't apply to us anymore. It actually might be more distracting for some of you if every time a woman came up, we handed her a shawl and said, put it over your head. You'd wonder, why are you doing that? What does that have to do with what's going on? The short hair, long hair stuff that you read, it's the same thing. Those things are not cultural conventions for us anymore. There was a stretch. Some of you were in church kind of doing the Jesus movement in the 60s and 70s. That was a huge issue then. It's not for us anymore. That's no longer a cultural convention. If guys have longer hair or girls have shorter hair, that's not a shameful issue for us anymore. And so it, it doesn't apply. Uh, and again, this is, these, are not, these are not matters of sin and salvation. It's just what works within our corporate gathering so that we can actually focus on Jesus and not on what people are wearing. So the controversy comes in two, two, two phrases. He says, uh, the head of every man is Christ, and the head of the woman is man, and the head of Christ is God. That phrase, the head of the woman is man, people will grab onto that. And then this other idea, man should not cover his head since he's the image and glory of God, but the woman is the glory of man. So those two phrases, man is the head of woman and woman is the glory of man. It sounds like Paul's putting guys up here and girls down here. And before we get into that and say this is not a marriage passage, there are marriage passages in the Bible, this isn't one of them. Husband, wife, that whole dynamic is not at play here. What Paul is talking about is us in worship together. Men, women, that is in play, husband, wife. That is not in play at all. So, guys, if you're looking for a reason to tell your wife that you're better than her, that she needs to stay in the kitchen or whatever, you've got to use something other than this passage. It's not what it teaches at all. So there is some men-women stuff going on here. First, this idea of head. Uh, in this passage, it doesn't mean ruler. It means source. Christ, uh, it says that the head or the source of every man is Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.17, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. Every man, oh, excuse me, I skipped, and the head of woman is man. If you were to look, those that have definite articles, it's talking about Adam and Eve. And Adam was the source for Eve. God created Eve out of Adam's rib. And the head of Christ is God. What you have there is this idea of when the Father sent the Son to, the, to earth, the Son became the Messiah or the Christ. And so in that sense, he's the, the Father is the source of the Christ. So you kind of see what's going on there. You can see in verse 8 this idea, man did not come from woman, but woman from man. There's that idea of source behind it. And in verse 12, as woman came from man, so also man is born of woman. Again, the idea is source. Paul's referring to Adam and Eve and the fact that originally the source for Eve was Adam. He was the raw material out of which Eve was created. It's not a hierarchical statement about uh, who's ruling who. Head means source. The second, which is to me much trickier, it's very murky, 
is this idea of glory. So man is the image and glory of God, but the woman is the glory of man. We know from Genesis that both men and women were created in the image of God, so it's not who was created in God's image. Both men and women were, but what's this idea that men are the glory of God and women are the glory of man? Kind of, There's lots of different opinions. Kind of the best I can come up with is this idea that the existence of one brings honor to another. So the existence of Adam somehow brought honor to God. Maybe how uh, a painting or a sculpture, that thing would bring honor to the artist. As people see it, it reflects well on the one who created it. That same thing is going on, that Adam's existence brings glory and honor to God. And in some way, Eve's existence does the same for Adam. And that's, Paul doesn't explain what he means. He he goes from woman is the glory of man, and he jumps off this tangent and goes somewhere else and never circles back. So we don't fully know what he means, but it's a parallel to this idea of Adam's existence bringing glory to God. So somehow Eve's brings glory to Adam. It somehow it most likely is tied, if you look at Genesis 2, 18 to about 22, 23, where God is talking about the creation of Eve. It says there's no, there's no suitable helpers for Adam. None of, nothing that God had made fits with him. And so he creates Eve, and Adam's response is, finally, he says, at last, finally, there's someone here who completes me. This is who I need. And so there's this idea of she provides what Adam needs. There's, this, there's a necessary component. As Adam was necessary for Eve as source, Eve is necessary for Adam as glory. And so you have this kind of mutual dependence going on there. And that's what Paul picks up in verse 11, where he's saying, just in case you think I'm saying that men are greater than women. Woman is not independent of man, nor is man independent of woman. Woman came from man, Eve from Adam, so also man is born of woman. That's all of us. Everything comes from God. And so he's putting everything under this perspective of here's God, and all of us ultimately come from him. And we have this mutually dependent or this interdependent relationship going on now. So that's kind of what's going on in 1 Corinthians 11. You can, If you want to dig into the details a little more i can send you on plenty of wild goose chases with that there's tons of information out there and you can run down lots of different trails until you find something that kind of scratches where you're itching um, with that again what i would say the most important thing for us to hear is that this is about public worship not about uh, marriage there are plenty of passages in the bible that very clearly spell out what god is looking for in a husband wife relationship this is not one of them so don't use it for that purpose. There are plenty of other places, again, that you can go to get that information. One thing that did uh, I did think of with this is verse 10. For this reason and because of the angels, that because of the angels, that's pretty sketchy uh, what that means as well. Lots of different ideas. There's probably some sense of kind of this great cloud of witnesses that somehow the angels are watching what's going on in this um, congregation and as a way of almost of honoring them as well where women need to keep their head covered. The woman ought to have a sign of authority on her head. Maybe a better way, I would say, of understanding um, that verse would be for this reason, the woman ought to have the freedom over her head to do as she wishes. So for this reason, and because of the angels, the woman ought to have the freedom over her head to do as she wishes. So the idea there is what we've been talking about. This, these Corinthian women are right. They're free. They shouldn't have to wear that shawl anymore. But they're using their freedom in the wrong way. They're using it to say, this is what I want to do, not this is what's best for y'all. So they're taking something good from God 
information, this revelation about these externals, and they're using it in a negative way in order to, dis- to disrupt their services. And that's what Paul's trying to pull them back. And that's why his argument is so weak here in all of this is because ultimately he thinks they're right. He's just saying because of the way things are right now, you can't do it. And I was thinking about that with us. I was in a, um, I'm on a, the board of a missions agency, and I was at this board meeting this week, and a couple from our church who feels called to the Middle East was there, and we were talking with them. And one of the guys in the board meeting said, you have this calling, you have this sense of revelation from God, and the next thing you need to do is you need to ask for wisdom. What, God, am I supposed to do with this information that you've just put in my lap? And there's an interplay between revelation and wisdom that I think I, I want to spend the rest of our time on looking at this morning. We need both. We need revelation and we need wisdom. Revelation, um, that's a, the word is uncovering. It's a revealing. It's information that is not known up to that point. Often it's very specific information for a very particular um, decision or very particular circumstance. It's something that's new. It's kind of a what. It answers the what question. Wisdom is different. Uh, wisdom maybe you could think of as skill. It's a holy common sense, how God tends to work. It answers the how question. Well, how am I supposed to implement this? How am I supposed to walk this out? So I have this piece of information now. What am I supposed to do with it? How am I supposed to incorporate this into my life? And wisdom tends to not be new information. It tends to be kind of tried and true and tested. It just seems regular. Revelation seems very supernatural. It's this lightning bolt. And wisdom seems very bland and boring and plain. It's this, again, it's almost holy or divine common sense, the way God tends to work. And we tend to fall in camps, either kind of this revelation camp or this wisdom camp, and we need to hold both of those things together. This is uh, Matthew 16. So Jesus comes to the region of Caesarea Philippi. He asks his disciples, who do people say the Son of Man is? They said, some say John the Baptist, others Elijah, others Jeremiah, one of the prophets. But what about you? Who do you say I am? Peter answered, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Now listen to this. Jesus said, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man, but by my Father in heaven. He's saying that's revelation. You didn't figure that out on your own. You didn't read that in a book. Nobody else told you that information. You didn't make an informed conclusion based on, inf- based on these being with me these last 18 months. This is given to you by God. This is revelation. Verse 21, from that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem, suffer many things at the hands of the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law, and that he must be killed, and on the third day be raised to life. Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. Never, Lord, that shall never happen to you. Jesus turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You're a stumbling block to me. You don't have in mind the things of God, but the things of men. So that's a pretty big turnaround for Peter in a short period of time. He's gone from this is revelation, blessed are you to get behind me, Satan. It's because he had no wis- there's no wisdom involved. He had this information from God, this revelation, this unveiling, this uncovering uh, that nobody else had access to. But there was no wisdom behind it. Well, what am I supposed to do with this? Or what exactly is this going to look like? So when Jesus said, this is what it's going to look like, Peter says, no way. That's not going to happen to you. He missed it. He had revelation without wisdom, and it caused him to get slapped down pretty hard by Jesus. This is um, 1 Samuel 16. So God has decided Saul is no longer going to be the king. He doesn't remove him from his uh, throne, but it says pretty much, I'm done with him. 
I'm ready to find somebody else. And Samuel's a prophet. His job is to find the next king. So the Lord said to Samuel, how long will you mourn for Saul since I've rejected him as king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and be on your way. I'm sending you to Jesse of Bethlehem. I've chosen one of his sons to be king. Verse 6. When they arrived, Samuel saw Eliab, that was Jesse's oldest son, and said, Surely the Lord's anointed stands here before me, or before the Lord. The Lord said to Samuel, Don't consider his appearance or his height, for I've rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things man looks at. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and had him pass in front of Samuel. But Samuel said, The Lord has not chosen this one either. Jesse then had Shammah pass by, but Samuel said, Nor has the Lord chosen this one. Jesse had seven of his sons pass by before Samuel, but Samuel said to him, The Lord's not chosen these. So he asked Jesse, Are these all the sons you have? They're still the youngest, but he's tending the sheep. Send for him. We will not sit down until he arrives. So they sent and had him brought in. He was ruddy with a fine appearance and handsome features. And the Lord said, Rise and anoint him. He is the one. So this is, this is different from Peter. Peter had revelation, no wisdom, no sense of how to use it. Samuel had wisdom. Well, this is how God picks. Saul, who's the first king, is a head taller than everybody else. He stands out physically. He's the guy. He looks like a king. He's the biggest man in the room. So, of course, we're going to follow him politically and militarily. So that's what Samuel's looking for. He's looking for the guy that looks like a king. And God says, no, no. That's wisdom without revelation. Now, it's important. Samuel was dialed in. He heard the audible voice of God when he was 12 years old, for goodness sakes. I mean, he was, he knew what, he knew the Lord. It's not an, an, an unspiritual man by any sense. He was just working off what he knew. Wisdom. This is what I know. This is how God has worked in the past, so this is how I'm looking for him to work in the future. And God had to say, that's not what I'm doing. That's what you're looking at. I'm, I have different criteria. I'm looking at heart. And the same thing can happen for us. Again, some of us tend to be revelation people. If you have a tattoo, you might be a revelation person. Some of us are wisdom people. If you're an engineer, you're probably a wisdom person. And the rest of us fall somewhere in between those two. Some of you people, again, for you, it's all about what has God said right now. And if you're a revelation person, like the bell curve, you know the bell curve? You live on the two tails of that. It's a home run or it's a strikeout. Nothing, you don't hit singles and doubles. Everything for you is either out of the park or you're going back to the bench because you've missed it. And it's a, it's a difficult way to live if you're a revelation person. You might spend a lot of time sitting on your couch waiting for God to direct you to do something, and he's not going to do it. You have, he said, listen, you got a job, do it. You have a family, take care of them. You're in school, go to class. I don't need to tell you those things. Love me and love people. I don't need to tell you that. It's all, that's just, it's common sense. Just do those things. Don't sit around waiting on something on a lightning bolt. Just get on with it. Or kind of the other extreme is every thought that pops into your mind you think is God. And so you're buying tickets and you're proposing on the second date and you're, you know, I don't need a safety school and, you know, I, I, I can major in whatever I want. God will get me a job or I don't need a job. God will put money in my mailbox or whatever it is. This kind of this idea of, you know, that anything that comes through here is from him. And that's one thing when you're 18 and you're by yourself and you have parents who can kind of help cushion the fall. It's another thing when you're 34 and you have a wife and kids and you're jerking them all over the place. 
from one thing to the next. Well, this is God. Well, this is, at some point, it doesn't, it's not just that it makes you look bad. Honestly, we can get over that. It makes God look bad. It makes it look like God doesn't know what he's doing. And he's, well, I, I thought you said it was this. And now you're saying it's this. And now you're saying it's this. Is God schizophrenic? Does he not know what he's doing here? You burn out every three or four months on these words from God. Now, when you hit it, it's incredible. It's a home run. Massive impact. The stars align. There's music in the background. It's wonderful. But when you miss, we're all sweeping up the pieces for you personally and for whatever damage you caused. It's a difficult way to live. It's hard for Revelation people to see wisdom as, um, as supernatural, as divine, because it feels so boring and it feels so human. Well, how, where, where's the faith in having a plan? Where's the faith in making a budget? Where's the faith in having a backup? Where's the fa- how does God work in that? There's no risk involved. Where are you trusting God? Kind of, and all, those things are not necessarily untrue, but it can be difficult for Revelation people to recognize that wisdom is supernatural as well. God has created an ordered world for us. Thankfully, we don't live in chaos. And so you can look to the past to see how God is going to work in the future. It doesn't mean he always does, but in general, if you're going to fight, then you need as many people on your side as possible. That's smart. That's wise. If we're going in biblical times, it's all, it's man to man. We don't have guns and we don't have airplanes and we don't have, it's you and me and some swords and some sticks. And that's what we're going to do. And so the more people I have, the better off I am. Unless God says only take 300, which he said to Gideon. Gideon starts with 22,000, still massively outnumbered. God says drop it. There's 10. Drop it again. There's 300 men. That's just dumb. Unless God has said, do that. Revelation trumped the wisdom of getting as many people as possible. And so God does get massive glory from Israel winning that fight because they won with 300 people with, what, they have jars and candles or something. I mean, it's ridiculous what they fought with. They didn't win. God won. And so we read that, and it's like, well, oh, yes. If Gideon didn't have a word from God, you wouldn't be reading about him. Because he and every one of those guys would have gotten slaughtered. And he would have been reckless, and he would have been arrogant, and he would have been ridiculous for him to do that. So that's kind of the revelation people. other side are the wisdom people. It's easy for us to look down our nose at the revelation people and say, you guys just need to grow up, and where's your maturity? Again, you're reckless. For wisdom people, on that bell curve, it's all singles and doubles. Everything is kind of right there in the middle. Rarely do you make terrible decisions, but rarely do you make great ones either. And the, and the issue is because there's no room for God to get in there. You've got a plan. What do you need the Holy Spirit for? I got the map. And, and every decision that comes your way, you just run it through the calculus. Here, let me spreadsheet this thing and figure out what makes the most sense. Pros and cons and all of that kind of stuff. Well, God would never ask me to do anything risky. God would never ask me to do anything that seems foolish. God would never ask me to do anything that might put my safety on the line or the safety of my children on the line or my nest egg on the line or any of those kind of things. And so we stay right there, singles and doubles, and feel pretty good about ourselves. But we've cut out the entire relational element of following God. We're not, we're following a plan. We're following 
uh, our preconceived ideas of how God has always worked in the past, or our understanding of how God works. I was thinking of like the, uh, the Israelites. Every morning when they woke up in the desert, there was manna on the ground. If they tried to get manna for Tuesday on Monday, it got maggots in it. They could only get manna for the day that they were going to eat. So you got Mondays on Monday, and you got Tuesdays on Tuesday. You couldn't plan ahead, in other words. Wisdom people, you couldn't plan ahead. You had to trust new every day. That's hard for some of us because it doesn't seem very strategic. It doesn't seem very smart. It doesn't seem very wise. It, it, you're, it's none of those things. It's called faith. It's a relationship. I trust God enough that on Tuesday there's going to be some food for me just because he said so. And there's going to be some food on Wednesday as well. For some of us, we live on yesterday's manna. There's no space in our life for God to say anything new. Not even to mention the fact that we, we don't take risks for him, which is really what trust looks like. I'm, gonna, I'm willing to obey you even if it doesn't make sense to me. I'm willing to put these things on the line out of my sense of trust in you. We, we miss both of those things if, if we just stay in the wisdom camp too long. And again, it's, it's easy for the revelation people to look at us and say, you guys... You're, you're living scared, you're sissies, you're living less than, you don't make any impact, there's no, where's the faith element, how are you following Jesus today? Everything you're talking about is just, you could have come up with all of that on your own. There's no need for God in your life. What we need to recognize is we need both of those things. We need wisdom and revelation. Paul says that in Ephesians 1.17. He's praying that we would have the spirit of wisdom and revelation. Why? So that we would know God better. So in order for us to know God better, to know him more fully, we need both wisdom and revelation. We need to know this new information, this revealing, this uncovering, and we need to know how he tends to work and what to do with this information when it comes. We talk about Ephesians 2.10, doing our deal, and it's easy to see how that might play. Some of us know this is what God wants for me to do, but we don't know how to do it. So we need wisdom to come along. But also for us, Romans 8.29, that God is desires to conform us into the image of Jesus. That's a real thing. And this same dynamic is at play. I've been going to see a counselor for the past um, few months trying to just make sure I'm okay and dealing with um, some stressful things here within the body. I've been try- So I've been going to this guy and talking to him. And last week he said, or when I went to see him two weeks ago, he said, there seems to be a disconnect between um, your emotions and the way you talk. And I said, what do you mean? And he said, well, you seem to feel... But none of it comes out in your tone of voice. So I had lunch with uh, Brandon the next day, and I said, what do you think about that? And he just started laughing, and he said, you stand up every Sunday and say this, my name is David, I'm the pastor here at Stonebridge, and I'm glad that you're with us this morning. And your tone of voice does not convey that you're glad anybody is here at all. It's just, whoop. And so uh, I had, we had dinner with some people that night. There was four other adults with us. And so I just asked them, I said, what do y'all think? And three of the four were like, absolutely, that this one girl I think uh, felt sorry for me that people were piling on. The other three were all like, absolutely. And so I asked, Misty, I asked this counselor, I said, well, what am I supposed to do about that? I said, you'll have to ask other people what they think. I don't know if they think that's true or not. Um, and then, so he says, well, ask your wife. So I asked Misty, I said, you know, what is this? And she said, absolutely. I said, well, how do you know that I care? And because um, it's not from the way I talk, and it's obviously not because I'm, passing out hugs everywhere. So how do you know that we 
that we're okay. And she tells me why. You know, and she says, well, you change your behavior when you see it needs to be changed. And so I, I can tell because you alter what you do for me. And uh, I said, well, that's great for you, but that doesn't help any of y'all. And uh, so I'm not quite sure why you come if you think uh, I, I don't hug you and I don't act like I care, apparently, my tone of voice. I do. Just, you'll have to trust me. So, uh, so I'm, I'm asking this, this guy about this, and it's the same piece. It's this Romans 8.29. So here's some information. Well, what am I supposed to do about it? Is that a sin issue for me? Is that just a maturity thing where I need to grow in some ways? Is it tactical where I need to, you know, smell cut onions before I stand up here so I cry and y'all can see that what needs to happen for me heart-wise? Again, it's easy to see wisdom and revelation when it comes to life decisions, trying to figure out where to go to college or whether I should propose or whether I should take this job or that job or whether we should move or where we should put our kids in school. That It's easy for us to see that as, yes, I need wisdom and revelation. Sometimes we don't see it when it comes to us and what God's trying to do in us and how he's trying to form us more into the image of his son. And we need that. We need to know God. We need to be able to see ourselves. God, I need information about me and where the gaps are because I can't see them. I, I can't. I don't know if I have lettuce in my teeth. I need somebody to tell me that. I need, I need revelation on those parts of it. And then I need to know what to do about it. For some of you, God has been putting things, that God has been showing you stuff about you. And so then the next question is, well, what do you do with that? Is that a sin issue that you need to repent of? Is that a maturity issue where you just need to learn how to grow in that? Is it a... Is it, is it neither? Is it, it's just you and it's okay. There's nothing that needs to be done. Some of you are truth tellers and you know that. And that's wonderful. Is there any wisdom that needs to come with how you tell the truth to people? Or do you have a trail of hurt feelings and broken bodies behind you, but it doesn't matter because you're telling the truth. That for, we need to, those are the pieces that we need from the Lord. Just show me who I am. Show me what you're doing. Show me the gaps between me and Jesus. And then show me what I'm supposed to do. It's, again, it's both the wisdom and the revelation. It has nothing to do necessarily with the choices I'm making in my life and everything to do with whether I'm becoming more like Jesus on the inside. And again, we need to hold all of that stuff together. So this is what I want us to do. Uh, we're going to close with communion. Um, and we're going to have ministry teams up in the front. And what I want you to do, if you need uh, wisdom or revelation, we want you to come forward for prayer, if it has something to do with the decision that you're facing, or if it has something to do with kind of what's just stirring in your heart about you, we just want to pray for you. Again, revelation, that's new information. I need to know something that I don't currently know. Something needs to be revealed. Wisdom is much more, well, what am I supposed to do? I, I've got this thing, and I don't know what to do with it. I don't know how to act on it. I don't know how to incorporate it into my life. Am I supposed to buy plane tickets today? Am I supposed to wait? Am I supposed to quit, that type of stuff, um, those uh, how-to type questions. We want to pray for you. I would imagine just about everybody in here would need one or the other, and so uh, we want to take some time and pray uh, for you. This is why we take communion here at Stonebridge. Uh, Bo will come up. Uh, he'll lead us in worship. You guys will stand up, and you'll come forward during this song, break off a piece of bread, dip it in the juice, and then eat it. There's gluten-free communion right up here on this table. And then we'll have ministry teams 
in the corners, and we'll be more than happy to pray with you. So if you guys would stand, I'm going to pray. If you're helping with communion or if you're a ministry team, if you go ahead and come forward, that'd be great. And I'm going to pray. God, we do thank you for the gift of your son, and we thank you for everything that's available to us because of his death and resurrection. We thank you that uh, because of that, your spirit has been poured out. And so each of us, we can go straight to you for wisdom. You say ask, and you'll give us wisdom. We can go straight to you for revelation. We don't have to go through anybody else. We don't have to go consult an oracle. We don't have to cast lots. We don't have to cut up an animal and look at their liver. We don't have to do any of that stuff. We can go straight to you. And that's a wonderful privilege that you've given us as sons and daughters. And so this morning, God, we want to come straight to you. I pray, I know there are people here in this room who need a word. They need revelation. They don't know what to do. And there are people who need wisdom. They don't know how to do whatever it is that you've already put in their heart. And God, my prayer is that in the next few minutes, not because we're wonderful, but because you are good, that you will speak to us in a way that we will understand. God, I pray even for those who may be distant from you this morning, maybe the revelation for them is that you love them and that your desire is for them and that you have a wonderful plan and purpose for their life. If they'll just say yes to you this morning, maybe that's the revelation. It's an an invitation from the King of Kings, the God of the universe, and their Father saying, come home today. So, God, whatever you want to say to us in this time, we want to receive that. In Jesus' name, amen.